It might be the case someday that you're standing in line at a restaurant, let's say Chick-fil-A, and someone asks you, maybe sees a cross that you're wearing or a t-shirt, or for some reason asks you, are you Christian? And you say, uh, yes. They ask, so what's this whole deal about the Trinity? And you say, it's a tough thing to explain. Today we celebrate this great feast of the Most Holy Trinity. We praise God for being one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Easy enough to say, but how can that be? What's that all about? And how would you explain that to someone who, let's say, is Jehovah Witness or Mormon or Jewish or Muslim, all of whom would reject the possibility of God being the Trinity? Here's the first thing. When we want to know the Trinity, we need to look at what God has revealed about himself. And the fullness of God's revelation, of course, is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we know that God the Father sent the Son. God the Father sent the Son, which we've been celebrating ever since Advent, all the way through Christmas and Lent and Easter. And then on top of that, the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, which we just celebrated last week at Pentecost. And these two events happened in history, and that in itself is a big deal and shows us a lot about who God is. Then, many times throughout the New Testament, Jesus and St. Paul reference the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit distinctly, even in our Gospel and second reading today. And in the Old Testament, we hear it too. In the beginning, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Our being plural. In the first reading today, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom speaks as one who is a person being with God before all creation, acting as God's craftsman. Just like in the Gospel of John, we hear the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all came to be through him. That's the Son, the craftsman. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, in the name, singular, and not names, to imply the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. All are one God. And then on the other hand, by listing the three names, he clarifies that there are three distinct persons. So we look at what God has revealed. Second, how do we understand then that God is one and three persons? Well, in our human experience, each human can only be one person, right? We are finite. We are limited. It would be unthinkable otherwise. But the divine nature is infinite. To say it a different way, there is 
only one instance of the divine nature, and three divine persons completely possess that one divine nature totally. For us, on the other hand, we each possess our own instance of human nature. It's not that one plus one plus one mysteriously equals one, but rather it suffices to say that there is one divine nature and three distinct persons. No one of the persons is either of the other. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Yet the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is totally God. And they are not three gods, but one God. Okay, that's the second big thing, that God is one nature, three persons. And the third big thing, in my experience, is that as limited humans, we always need some kind of analogy or or image to satisfy the mind. But we don't want to get caught up too much in analogies that are made up, like thinking about an apple and the skin and, and the core of the apple, or like three-leaf clovers, because those all run into issues, even though they're helpful in some way. Rather, we look to the image God gave. I already mentioned how God made humanity in his image and likeness. Traditionally, the Holy Spirit has been considered the love between the Father and the Son as a whole other person. So we see this in a human family as well. The love between a man and a woman in the natural course of things ideally results in another person, a child, a beautiful thing. That the family is an image of the divine life of the Trinity. So after you explain all of this to your unsuspecting stranger at Chick-fil-A, where does this bring us today? What does this matter really to us? Well, St. Paul gives us a key in the second reading. He says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. As Christians, we have the love of God poured into us through the Holy Spirit. That is the very love between the Father and the Son dwells in us through the Spirit. As Christians, God the Father has made us adopted children of God, brought into his very divine life, brought into an eternal family, a reality which is awesome in the correct sense of the term. That's what we are made for, for union with the Trinity and one another. And that applies to us as we sit here together, gathered as a parish, or as you stand in line at a restaurant, or as you're standing in line for donuts later. It means that above all, God is a community of persons, and we are made for that as well. We are made not to be isolated, but to be together with God and with each other for all time.
So after you then explain that to the unsuspecting stranger at Chick-fil-A, what do you do next? You get your food, you sit down, and always, always begin by professing your faith in the Trinity, in God's threefold presence and power, in the most simple of ways that we know. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.